0: Welcome to the SLP Talk Show, real talk with Carrie about stuff that really matters.
1: Hey, it's Carrie, your fast-talking, speech-therapy-loving host. While you are driving, cleaning, exercising, or whatever it is you do while listening to podcasts, I'm going to be chatting about pediatric speech-therapy stuff. But I don't want our time together to feel like work or be boring. You already work enough, and you already have enough boring stuff to do in your life. So let's get going and have some fun. Hi again. This is Carrie and I'd like to welcome you to the 3rd episode of SLP Talk Show. I am joined once again by my husband Jim, Jimmy, Jimmy Jimmy, Jimbo, Jimbolia. I don't know. Jim, can I tell a funny story before you even before you even say hi? I have to tell this. You're not going to like this. So when Jim was little, cuz you know his his name is James. Oh no, he's shaking his head. So it's the cutest story ever, you guys. When he was little, he thought his name was Jim James because
0: Seriously? seriously
1: <laughs> it's so cute you're gonna
0: roast a four-year-old kid I right know. like
1: but isn't that cute because you know his name was James not But people fair. called him this Jim. is this is
0: about as fair <laughs> as the trivia game yesterday was oh okay. you dropping that uh, 19 25 you
1: know, yeah
0: 25 ash of blah 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 I mean. all
1: right all right so anyways I'm welcomed by Jim so Jim thanks for being here again
0: well hello. <laughs> I'm sort of glad to be back, I guess. Uh, after that,
1: this is so exciting, though. We're recording our third episode uh, of SLP Talk Show. Oh, yeah, Jim's cracking a cold one open.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna start drinking.
1: Yeah, yeah, day drinking. It's actually a Lacroix. Well, that's what I'm telling you guys. You, of course, wouldn't know because you can't see us. <sighs> it's ah, good. Refreshing. Okay, very good. So, uh. Yeah. Oh, I know what I wanted to tell everybody, Jim. We recently binge-watched a show on Netflix. And this is how, like, ridiculous I am. I did not know that it was a spoof. I don't know. Even <laughs> the name of the show should have given it away. Okay, it's something yeah. about the woman in the window looking at the little girl across the street in the window. Is something ridiculous like that. Is that close?
0: Do, do you, no, take another shot.
1: The lady in the window across the street from the other lady in the window. Is that better? No. It's, the, it's with no. Kristen Bell. Yeah.
0: What's it Kristen actually Bell. called? It's actually called The Woman in the House Across the Street from the Girl in the Window.
1: Oh, see, I had too many ladies in there. and, and
0: <laughs> It's still a ridiculous title. It is a ridiculous I title. I kind of like, make, you said the, the lady across the <laughs> street from the from the lady in the window window or no no dogs
1: no dogs in the window just ladies in the window anyways it was on netflix right i mean Mm -hmm. i i guess i the wine drinking was by far my favorite part but yeah yeah, so you got to see it i won't it it
0: looked familiar
1: yeah it did didn't it Mm -hmm. the bigger the wine glass the better so it's worth a watch if you don't Expect it. I just thought it was serious and it wasn't serious, you guys. And I didn't know that until it was over. And I told Jim, I said, that was ridiculous. And he said it was supposed to be. It was a spoof. So I am clueless most of the time when it comes to stuff like that. But um, watch the woman in the house across the lady from the street.
0: Yeah. The woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window.
1: From the girl in the window. Yeah. Very interesting. Very that's, interesting.
0: That's, that's the name of it. So what's new in the Carrieverse verse?
1: In the Carrieverse, not the universe, the verse yeah, Is that what we call it? Yeah. Well, something new and exciting is happening here at Carrie Ebert Seminars. We uh, just sent set D of our Silly Sounds cards to the printer. So we have uh, three other sets of Silly Sounds, set A, set B, set C, and now. I know,
0: it's cliffhanger. It is
1: a cliffhanger. I know, set D.
0: Set
1: D. Yeah, we also have our Spanish Silly Sounds cards. But True. anyways, this has been, um, this will be the last set of Silly Sounds. I cannot come up with any more Sound effects but for those minimally verbal kids the Silly Sounds cards work amazing so I'm super excited Uh, they're at the printer so we're excited to get those back and get those in the hands of of SLPs working with minimally verbal kids.
0: Anything else new or exciting? Well
1: Anything new and exciting? Um, we're gonna go see Jim Gaff again tonight. Oh yeah, uh, he's yeah. in Kansas City, so yeah. we're gonna go go hang out and go down to the Power and Light District and.
0: I won't even attempt his falsetto voice. Cause, no, he yeah,
1: has a great falsetto of the voice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I I can't wait. I love comedians. Um, I sometimes don't get their jokes, but
0: you you love comedians. I love
1: comedians. Can I not love comedians?
0: Maybe that makes me one.
1: Oh, you are a comedian. You absolutely are. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so thanks for being here for episode three. Uh, I want to do a deep dive and talk to you guys a little bit about challenging behaviors. I spent this morning uh, at a local school district in the Early Childhood Center and was talking to a group of paraprofessionals. So uh, I've done trainings for this Early Childhood Center before, and uh so they asked me the principal asked me to come in and just specifically train the paraprofessionals so there were about a dozen of them and I thought it was really cool because sometimes um you know the teachers get the training and the paraprofessionals don't always get that so we sat around a table I didn't do it formally it wasn't like a um a seminar you know I didn't use a powerpoint or a projector I had a little handout for them and they were so engaged you guys and they appreciated the training so much so so what I thought I'd do is just do a deep dive into um, you know, what we talked about and just kind of give you a summary because challenging behaviors are something that uh, we all deal with as SLPs. If you're a parent, you know, you deal with that as well. The one thing that I wanted to explain to these paraprofessionals is the difference between difficult behavior and challenging behavior. So difficult behavior, every kid on the planet has difficult behavior at some point or another, right? So we anticipate that, um, you know, kids are going to have difficult behavior at times. But when I talk about challenging behavior, I'm really referring to those behaviors that are interfering with the child's ability to learn, um, interfering with their ability to have successful interactions with uh, adults or peers. So those challenging behaviors are uh, certainly a concern. And so one of the things that I reviewed with these paras was the difference between a behavioral tantrum or what we call a temper tantrum. Uh, and those temper tantrums are very common. That's the, the typical uh, difficult behavior that we expect all kids to have, right? When they're little, especially, they have a lot of behavioral tantrums. And as they get older, they get more mature. Uh, they get more language. They're better able to communicate. They can use words instead of, instead of actions. Though those difficult behaviors subside a little bit. But when we are talking about challenging behavior, again, we're talking about those more significant behaviors that are interfering with learning and development. So a behavioral tantrum versus a sensory meltdown. But I also want to talk about a physical meltdown because that's a different type of meltdown. Okay, not every meltdown is sensory based. So the reason I think this is important is because our um, response to a tantrum versus a meltdown should be different, even though the behaviors uh, that the child is having in a tantrum look very similar to behaviors when a child is having a meltdown. So it's really the responsibility of the adult to figure out, is this a tantrum or is this a meltdown? So let's start with physical meltdown. Physical meltdown occurs because the child's basic bodily needs are not being met so the acronym i use to help um, other people remember it is hats like the hat you wear on your head right so um, the h stands for hungry a child who is hungry i mean let's be honest adults who are hungry do you ever get hangry um, nobody wants to be around me when i'm hangry right jim
0: yes absolutely. <laughs>
1: I am not a very nice hangry person. So hungry, um the A in hat stands for angry or any other emotion. So it could be angry, it could be lonely, it could be sad, right? So we the A. Then we have T and that is for tired. Um, Anybody who's overly tired is usually pretty grouchy, okay? And then the S is for sick. So if a child is hungry, angry, or feeling any other strong emotion, is tired, or is sick, we can anticipate that they might have a physical meltdown. And we know that the behavior was due to basic bodily needs not being met because after they have a nap, or after they eat, um, or after they get antibiotics for that, you know, uh, strep throat or whatever it is, their behavior improves, right? Don't kids sometimes act better after a nap? They act better after they've eaten. So when it's a physical meltdown, we can, uh, we we know that the trigger was because their basic bodily needs uh, were not being met. So let's contrast that with a behavioral tantrum. So when we're talking about a temper tantrum now, um, we have to understand that the purpose of the tantrum is the child wants to manipulate the adult so that he or she can get their way. So tantrums are very socially motivated. They want something from you. Usually it's because the answer was no. So when a child is told no, they come back with some kind of a behavior because they want you to change your Mind.
0: Like in the cereal aisle.
1: Like in this, or at the checkout at the grocery (laughs) store. Because where, you know, you and I, when we were in high school, we both worked in grocery stores. What do they so inconveniently place at the checkout counter? Candy, candy right candy. always candy yeah. candy 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 and in the cereal aisle or wherever the little you know how in the grocery store there's that weird little aisle of toys it's like a 10 foot section of really weird overpriced toys but little kids that's <clears throat> yep. what they want right they want the stuff so you get this uh parent in the checkout line and the little girl says i want mems and mom says no we are not getting any candy today And the little girl yells and starts tantruming and mom says, no M&Ms. And the little girl throws herself on the floor kicking and screaming and mom bends down and says, you need to stop that. Put the candy in the cart and be quiet. So then she ends up getting the candy, which we know then just reinforces, you know, oh, all I have to do is throw myself to the floor and then I get what I want. So um, a behavioral tantrum or a temper tantrum is manipulative in its truest sense. So the child can turn the behavior on and off like a light switch. This is how you know if it is a temper tantrum because the child can uh, uh, cry uh, in, a, in an instant. You know, they just turn it on and off like a faucet, right? They turn on the tears, the crocodile tears, they turn it off and they can do that. So maybe the child is doing something, you turn away and pay attention to another child and this child over here who was having a tantrum is all of a sudden quiet And so you turn and look over your shoulder to see what they're doing. And the child immediately starts screaming or crying. So they're,
0: they're gauging your response.
1: They are absolutely gauging your response. So that's how it's manipulative because their response is based on your reaction. Sure. Okay, so that is a a temper tantrum. And uh, here's the thing to understand is during a temper tantrum, most of the time the child is quite communicative. They're not maybe saying nice things, but they are they are using words usually. So they're saying, you're so mean. I hate you. You never let me have anything. Right. So they're very communicative. It's very intentional. And they're just trying to get you to change your mind. Uh, So that is a, a behavioral tantrum or what we tend to call a temper tantrum. Now, let's talk about a sensory meltdown. A sensory meltdown occurs because of um, a cumulative effect of sensory overstimulation. So what happens is all of this sensory input causes the child to go into fight or flight mode. So at this point, this is when we say the child has become dysregulated. And when a child is dysregulated, there is nothing you can say or do in the moment to help that child come out of that of that sensory meltdown, uh, Jim. You and I, we uh, for years and years with our son Aaron, we dealt mm-hmm. with meltdowns of epic proportion. Um, and to the point, I often tell people, you know, you and I have never really talked <clears throat> about this, so this is kind of a first. And I don't mean to like just throw this at you, but I, I know, I know, <laughs> I, I I really didn't plan to go here, but why not, right? Um, when Aaron was 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 two, three, four years old, he was he didn't have a lot of language. And he didn't have a way to really communicate very well, very effectively. And he um, had a lot of meltdowns. He He did not like change. He got overwhelmed very easily. So what kind of happened is Jim and the girls kind of lived life. You and the girls would go to softball. You and the girls would go to church. You and the girls would go to like potlucks and birthday parties. And Aaron and I would often stay home. Sometimes we'd reverse it. You and Aaron would stay home, right. you know, and me and the girls would go out. But the point is that we did not, at that time, we didn't feel like we could give Aaron varied experiences, which is something that we'll do a whole episode on that. But young children really need varied experiences in order to develop. And right. we, don't you think we we really didn't give him a lot of varied experiences back then?
0: I think, I think part of that is... Kind of the you know what the perception was yeah. of autism at that time you know I think that that a lot of people just didn't understand it right so and, they thought he was so a bad then, kid yeah and so then made me I mean I'll be honest made me subconscious about it well and so I yeah mean, and so I just didn't want to have to answer those questions
1: right well don't you feel like we got tired of the look of don't you know how to raise your kid you right. get that look oh, the, yeah, the person that, glaring that, at you like
0: that that look of uh, oh yeah he's one of
1: those oh if he was my child he wouldn't act like that he wouldn't
0: act like that
1: right right so I got tired Jim and I both got tired of getting um, judged if you will out in public sure so we just sort of didn't take him very many places because it was really traumatic for the whole family um, when we would when we would go out so um, Aaron had a lot of significant meltdowns and they were long I would say they lasted anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes and it would take him an additional 20 to 30 minutes to calm himself down from mm-hmm. one of those massive meltdowns so um, he just understand that when a child is in fight or flight mode when they have this sensory meltdown the child is not in control of their own behavior so when somebody suggests that he needs to get it together you know he just needs to snap out of it or right. you just need to talk to him they're, they're actually the more you talk to a child who's having a sensory meltdown the worse you're going to make it you're actually right. going to exacerbate that so our rule in our home back when Aaron was was younger because he has two older sisters who they love to take care of him you know they're right. six and seven years older than him so they yeah. wanted to he had three mommies you know they were yep. always helping and so when he would get upset they would try to placate him so they would say here buddy do you want your Blanky, do you want your, your, you know, whatever, your toy? They would try to give him things. And oh my gosh, the more the girls spoke to him or tried to touch him or hug him or whatever, the more upset he would get.
0: Yeah, you definitely didn't touch him.
1: Absolutely not. And the more you talk to him. So we learned pretty quickly no words. Like, and he didn't want to be comforted. So he, we, the rule in our house became, buddy, if you need to cry, um, you need to cry in your room. And so he was never in trouble and it wasn't a punishment, but that was the only place he could. Regulate. Down. He could calm down because right. he needed a quiet place. He needed no talking. He needed it to be his safe space. And that has always been his room, right? right. He's always gone yep. to his room to kind of self-regulate. So please understand that when a child is having a sensory uh, meltdown, uh, the child is not seeking attention. They're not seeking anything tangible um, because meltdowns are not socially driven. The child is not doing this because they want something from you, okay? Um, the child has difficulty calming down and please understand that during a meltdown, the child is almost always unaware of personal safety. So, that's right. why you have to make sure that they have a safe place, right. right, to have this this meltdown because we don't want them injuring themselves. And I would
0: usually hang out outside the door.
1: Just to make sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because and I can remember sitting in the hallway. <laughs> yep. Just making sure, you know, it, he was yep. okay, but, you know, that he wasn't hyperventilating because he he would do that. Yeah, he would get very,
1: very upset. And what's interesting is Aaron, when he was done with his meltdown, he would come out of his room and he would be doing that... (sighs) Mm -hmm. you know how after you cry and you have to calm yourself down and we nobody would speak to him but if Aaron uttered these three words we knew it was over he would utter "Um, I'm okay now I'm okay now I'm okay now and he would say it over and over almost like to convince himself but if he said I'm okay now then we knew we could talk to him we could you know but if he came out and was still kind of doing that calm down cry but didn't say I'm okay and you said a word to him I'm not kidding you it would turn it back on
0: well and there were times where you could hear him say in his room, telling himself, I'm okay, I'm telling okay. himself, yeah. but then he, he wasn't Mm-mm. not yet Mm-mm. anyway. Mm-mm. So he would, it would yeah. take him a while longer. Then.
1: And and you know, I know a lot more about sensory now um, than I did when he was young because at the time we didn't really have a ton of, of support and guidance, you know, mm-hmm. on that. So I just started taking every sensory course I could. I'd be in courses with OTs only. I mean, I yeah. have bought, how many books do I own on sensory? Like every <laughs> one of them. It's ridiculous, isn't it, Jim?
0: You, you have so many books. I mean. Well,
1: I'm like the book queen. Yeah. Yes. Um, but You're a librarian. so, yeah, I am. I could have been a librarian. I love books. I just think that, um, you know, if you've ever heard me present before, you know, this is my favorite saying, uh, sensory trumps everything. And I mean that in the most sincere way. Um, You have to have a regulated nervous system before you can even think about building a relationship or teaching a child something. So my little three-part, because I have a lot of one-liners, but this is my favorite one-liner. you um, Regulate, reach, teach. And you have to do it in that order. So first you regulate the child's nervous system. Right. Get them in a ready state for learning. Then you have to reach them, meaning you have to build an authentic relationship with them. Right. Follow the child's lead, build that relationship, and then you can teach new skills. So a lot of times what happens in therapy, for example, uh, we try to get in there right away and start teaching new skills. And you've got a child who's dysregulated, who is, you know, either under responsive and doesn't really, you know, pay much attention to what you're doing or saying or is over responsive and is bouncing off the walls or is, you know, just kind of dysregulated. Engaged altogether. So we have to make sure that um, a child is in a ready state for learning. So getting back to sensory meltdowns, meltdowns slowly lessen in intensity and eventually end, usually to physical exhaustion, or hopefully we are figuring out how to change the environment so those meltdowns don't happen so much. So um, I think a good good place to end this talk today is that uh, a child... um, Throwing a temper tantrum, this is a quote and um, by Terry Morrow. A child throwing a temper tantrum looks like he's giving a performance, while a child having a sensory meltdown looks like he's fighting for his life. And I just think it's so important to recognize, um, that, uh, a tantrum and a meltdown are different things. So, uh, one, one other, I know I said that was the last point, but I just want to say that when you have a child who's having a temper tantrum, please understand that it can morph into a sensory meltdown, right? If you, because, you know, kids who have sensory differences also, um, are still going to have temper tantrums. I don't want you to think that, you know, if, if, if you have a child, like, for example, an autistic child, they still are going to test the waters, right? They're still going to have those temper tantrums. But for us, it's understanding the difference between a tantrum and a meltdown. And so just know that a, a tantrum can morph into a sensory meltdown, you know, if, if in, in certain kids. So anyways, that's just a real quick overview of what I was able to uh, visit with uh, these paraprofessionals at the early. Childhood Center today and I just thought it might be interesting for you guys to kind of think about the difference between a tantrum and a meltdown and uh, I hope you found that that helpful. So uh, thanks for listening to another episode of SLP Talk Show. I hope you'll join us again for the next episode. We still haven't really decided how many episodes a week we're going to do.
0: Yeah I don't know.
1: So you know it's just kind of Fly by the seat of your pants. That's the kind of person I am. Uh, Jim, don't you think that's kind of how we're doing this? We're just rolling rolling with the flow.
0: We may have two bonus episodes a week. may have just one. Who knows? Maybe we'll have four.
1: Yeah, you never know. We're for sure going to release two episodes a week, but because these are short little bite-sized nuggets you know i think we can do more so anyways we love your feedback we'd appreciate you letting us know if you want more or you know if you've already got enough podcasts to listen to so um anyways i hope you will uh join us again for the next episode and as you head back to real life remember joy is a choice that you make every day when you wake up throw kindness around like confetti and please please get your boobies checked every year it could just save your life it saved mine until we meet again Cheers.